on the podcasts I listen to each week, I keep hearing this ad for this new podcast called Spectacular Failures. And it launched, I think, this last week. And the first episode was touting this big Christian failure of this theme park called Heritage USA. So I looked it up, and the headline on the Spectacular Failures podcast says, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's wildly popular Christian theme park was upended by fraud, scandal, and lavish spending. So I had never heard of this theme park, and I was amazed. Um, I think we have some pictures of it. But Heritage USA was opened in 1978, and by 1986, it attracted nearly 6 million visitors annually. It was the third largest theme park in the United States, employing 2,500 people. It was only um, behind Walt Disney World in Orlando and Disneyland in California. But after a few things happened, one was a quarter of a million dollar payoff to silence a church secretary later turned model who, was, who had alleged that Baker had raped her, drugged her, and they paid her off with that $279,000. And as that came down, more and more things kept coming out until after about, after a 16-month federal grand jury probe, Baker was indicted in 1988 on eight counts of mail fraud, 15 counts of wire fraud, and one count of conspiracy. He was sentenced to 45 years in federal prison and imposed a $500,000 fine. He served five years, remarried, wrote a book, and now has his own televangelist show that still plays in Missouri with his new wife. Tammy divorced him and remarried another man who also divorced his wife. The man she married had not only built the theme park and churches across America, but had also delivered the $279,000 of the cover-up money to Jessica Hahn. So with that light note, welcome to church. (laughs) Um, Let's bow our heads for prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Um, And as we just look at um, telling the truth with our lives and what that means, we just ask that um, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and that we would learn some new things about the way that you would like us to live in your name. Amen. If you're following along in your book and you're like, wait a second, I thought this was supposed to be about divorce. Why am I hearing about oaths? Um, It's because I think you saw in the announcements, Mark and Sherry Decker became grandparents again this weekend um, with little Jack being born. Yeah. Everybody's healthy and okay. He's very cute. I'm sure you'll keep watching um, after the service and you'll, you'll see his picture. But um, they had an awesome uh, talk prepared with Cheryl, and I think they're going to go ahead and do that next week. So we just swapped weeks. So never fear, divorce is, is still coming. But <laughs> it's not going to be taught by me. <laughs> um, so if you want to turn in your Bibles or your book, we have more books in the back if you'd like to want to. You haven't gotten one yet. Um, but... It's in Matthew 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break an oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, 
or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond comes from the evil one. So if you haven't noticed yet, the in um, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will often start off, he'll say, you've heard it said this, but I say this. So you've heard it said, we had last week, do not commit adultery, but I say, and then he brings kind of this new idea forth. So um, there's a number of verses in the past that could be referred to when Jesus is saying, you have heard it said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. One of them being the third commandment. Um, So you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Another one is in Ecclesiastes 5. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. So if you're like me, if you grew up kind of in church, um, sometimes those verses just kind of get translated to don't, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. You know, don't swear, basically. Or just tell the truth. Don't tell a lie. Quakers took this to mean that you actually don't make any deals. So Quakers um, had to work with banks and things because they did not want to make a deal where they had to sign a paper that, that swore that they would do something, that they would pay back this loan, that they, would, they wanted their word to count. And for a long time, Quakers were known to be the most honest people around because when they said they were going to do something, they did it. In first century Palestine, when Jesus would have been saying this, there was no credit score that you could check. There's no auto draft for loans. There's no way that you could sign a paper and take a mortgage out on your house or give up your car as collateral. People made deals at the front gate of the city with a shake of their hand and their word as the only thing backing it. So your word was your honor, and in an honor-shame society, that was everything. So your word really depended on it defined what kind of person you were, what advantages you had, um, if you could do business deals, if you could get land. Your word was really, really important. My favorite teacher in college, um, she's now chair of the history department at Southern, but she uh, also taught often at the church I went to there, and she did a presentation on this very topic, and she was saying that in the same way that we would often, that we'll often like take a a mortgage out on our house, or we'll put our car up for collateral. People, when they would swear to a business deal, they would um, say, you know, I, I swear I'll pay you this, um, and I swear on my daughter, or I swear on my house or my land, I swear on this, I swear by my God, or this, or that, and that would kind of be their collateral. So they would kind of, with their words, put up some collateral that, you know, you can have my daughter if I don't do this, or you can sacrifice my child, or, you know, my God will rain rage on me if I don't do this thing. And so you imagine that you swear on your God. So if you're, if you're an a Israelite and you believe in the one true God, then you go and say, yeah, Yahweh, I swear by Yahweh, his revenge, you know, you've seen the stuff he's done, he'll come and do that to me if I don't do what 
I've promised, and then you don't follow through with it. Who does that make look bad? Not only you, but now your God. So Jesus is saying, better just to not do that. <laughs> so in um, the book by, a book by Gary um, Stassen, he says, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, we represent his presence to others. Therefore, making a false promise or speaking an untruth is doing it in God's presence and making a negative testimony to Jesus. So there's two things really in that verse. One, Stassen says, Jesus is concerned about truthfulness. And two, he's concerned about God's holy name. Each kind of swearing uses loyalty to God to manipulate and dominate another person through false claims. So one of the, one of the fraud charges that um, the bakers received um, through Heritage USA is that they were um, really, really behind financially in their theme park. And so they did this deal where if you paid $1,000, you would get this lifetime um, kind of pass to a four-day vacation in the park every single summer. So thousands of people sent in um, this $1,000, and they only had like 250 hotel rooms. So there was absolutely no way that they would ever be able to make good on the promise. And then, of course, I think the park closed and they got $6 back, but the people that donated. But basically, that's exactly that. It's, it's using loyalty to God to manipulate and dominate another person through false claims. So Jesus has this way, as we talked about, he's taking this old wisdom and then he's diagnosing how that's going poorly and he's giving a new command, a new way to do things. And um, Gary Stassen has in every teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he, what he calls a traditional righteousness. So that in our verse, that would be, again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So he's looking at, this is the old way. This is the way that the Ten Commandments have said, this is the way that we all know to be true. It's not good to break your vows. But then he does the next thing. He diagnoses a vicious cycle. Uh, you know, you've heard this, but here's what's actually happening. So Jesus goes on and says, you don't swear an oath at all by heaven, because that's God's throne. That's where God is. Or by earth, because that's his footstool. That's also his. How in the world are you going to swear by it when it's already God's? Or by Jerusalem, for that is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, because you can't even make the hair on it black or white. So basically, Jesus is saying, like, fulfill your vows, but also, like, you don't have any control. You don't have any control over any of this stuff. So how are you going to guarantee that you're going to do it? So he gives a transforming initiative. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is inviting us to be a people of integrity. So the rest of the time, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at what does that look like? What does it mean to be an integrated person? What does it mean to... Um, for the life you want to live to look like the life that you are living. So the first thing, I think, is that we have to recognize our inability to be honest. My friend sent um, me a podcast by this uh, philosopher recently, and the podcast was titled, I, 
something about like why I don't say that I believe in God. So I listened to it. I disagreed with some of it. But the guy's basic um, setup was he doesn't like saying that he believes in God because he feels like his life does not match all of God's teachings. Until he can match God's teachings, he does not want to say, hey, I believe in God because he believes that would be a misrepresentation. There's problems with that, clearly. (laughs) But there are so many things I know that I don't know about myself. My limits, my beliefs, my actions. I'm dishonest all the time. I say I believe in the Sermon on the Mount. I say I believe in Jesus' teachings. But the things that I do contradict my beliefs all the time. I can't do it. I can't fulfill the things that I say I believe on a constant and daily basis. So this first step in not taking an oath is, is first this act of humility. This act of recognizing, like, I, I can't do it. Like, I cannot be as honest as I want to be. I cannot be as integrated as I want to be. And realizing with humility that that's where we're starting from. We're all starting from a point that we are doing and, and believing as much as we can. We're on this journey of following Jesus, but we are all not perfectly like Jesus. So there's a level of dishonesty that our life is not integrated with the life of Jesus. Oswald Chambers says, Refrain your speech until you can convey the sincerity of your mind through it. Until the Son of God is formed in us, we are not sincere, not even honest. But when his life comes into us, he makes us honest with ourselves first and generous and kind towards others. So the first step is just recognizing that we we really don't have the capacity to be completely honest. It's more than just not lying. And number two is, once we recognize that, bridging the gap between appearance and reality, between belief and action. So as we grow, we become hopefully more and more integrated. More and more of what we want to be becomes reality. More and more of what Jesus asks us to do, we begin to do in our own lives. One of the many ways that I'm working on this in my own life and I've been thinking a lot about is just, um, I say I believe in a supernatural God that has supernatural abilities, yet a lot of times I treat God like an idea or like a good moral code to follow. I, I don't act like I believe in a supernatural God. And when it comes to praying for miracles or I'm hesitant to listen for God, do I really think God's going to respond to me in some way? Um, and other more supernatural characteristics of God's presence. I say I believe it. I read the stories. I even teach about it. But in my own life, do I take it seriously? Do I act like I really believe that? But as this gap closes, we become much more confident that we are doing what we believe is right and we're a lot less dependent on outside praise. So one way, a kind of a barometer to, to tell, I know for me, I can tell like at work if I'm not sure if I'm doing something correctly. I, I suddenly want to know what everyone else thinks about it. Has anyone else had that? Like, I don't care most of the time, but right at something at work, if I'm unsure of, of how I'm doing or how I'm leading my group, then suddenly I want to know. Um, I want other people's opinions. I want to know exactly how I'm really doing. Oswald Chambers says, in the matter of praise, when we are not sure of having done well, we always like to find out what other people think. When we are certain we have not, when we, ha- we are certain we have done well, we do not care in Adam whether folks praise us or not. So that's a great barometer for how, how close what we believe and the appearance and the reality, how close our, our beliefs and our actions. A way, a way to measure that kind of is to tell how much do you really care what other people think of what you're doing.
Three, your honor becomes less and his honor becomes more. A huge piece of this verse is, yes, tell the truth. Don't take an oath that you can't keep. But the second big part of it is when you do that, you're bringing honor or dishonor to God. Oswald Chambers has an amazing quote about this saying, integrity means unimpaired purity of heart. God can make our words the exact expression of the disposition he has put in it. Jesus taught by example and by precept that no one should stand up for his or her own honor, but only for the honor of another. Our Lord was never careful of his own honor. He made himself of no reputation. People called him a glutton, a wine drinker, a madman, devil possessed, and he never opened his mouth. But as soon as they said a word against his father's honor, he not only opened his mouth, but said some terrible things. If you think back through our journey through the book of Mark, or any time you think, you think of Jesus being angry, it's always when his father is being misrepresented. It's the only time you'll ever see him angry in the Bible. But Jesus Christ, by his spirit, alters our standard of honor, and disciples will never care what people say of us, but will care tremendously what people say of, of Jesus Christ. We realize that our Lord's honor, not our own honor, is at stake in our lives. What is the thing that rouses you? That is an indication of where you live. So in an age where appearance is everything, we consume more in Western societies, we, we post more online, we get into debt more just to keep up with what we're convinced we need or which milestones we think we need to be reaching. But what if we slowed down? What if we grew in obscurity? What if we didn't present the best of our life but instead wrestled with the reality of our real lives? What if we got to the point where the biggest thing that roused us was misrepresentation of God's honor. First in our lives, constantly noticing places where we realize we're misrepresenting him, where our lives don't line up, and then we move to act in a world where, around us where he is constantly misrepresented. And no, number four is tell the truth with your own life. It could really be argued that the whole Sermon on the Mount is caught up in this teaching. Oswald Chambers says, let people do what they like with your truth, but never explain it. Jesus never explained anything. We are always explaining, and we get into tangles by not leaving things alone. We need to pray St. Augustine's prayer, O oh Lord, deliver me from this lust of always vindicating myself. Our Lord never told his disciples when they made mistakes, and they made any number of blunders. But he went on quietly planting the truth and let mistakes correct themselves. It could be argued, like we said, that the whole Sermon on the Mount is, is about this. To tell the truth with your life. To not only do the right thing, but to do the right thing with the right motive. To not only obey the letter of the law, but to get caught up in the spirit behind the law. The world is aching for people that tell the truth. 
Our presidents in the last decades have shown, have shown up to say one thing publicly and then something else behind the scenes. From Johnson over Vietnam, Nixon over Watergate, Clinton over personal matters, and Bush over claims of weapons of mass destruction. We've seen cor corruption in corporations with executives getting their paychecks, huge paychecks every year, while the people whose money they're investing are losing. We've watched as leading actors and powerful men have been arrested for sex crimes. Just this week, I listened to an indictment that came down on a billionaire alleged to have been trafficking and abusing over 45 underage girls. And unfortunately, we see similar stories in all of these categories in churches and church leaders all over the world. People are distrustful. And we see a movement in my generation and the generation below to tear it all down, to deconstruct, to start it over. And we're getting really good at that. The system is broken as we know it. And we can rage against that system. I know I definitely have. We can find stories. I actually, it took me forever to put together this teaching because I couldn't find which story of misrepresentation of God to use because there were so many. But what if we got our own house in order before we criticized the world? What if I looked at the log in my own eye before I looked at the speck in yours? And what if the thing that made me the most angry about our broken system was the misrepresentation of Jesus? Instead of noticing all the ways that my own rights have been violated. What if we followed Jesus and learned how to really tell the truth with our lives. Jesus, we praise you and thank you for who you are. We just ask that you would teach us to tell the truth with our lives, that we might represent you in the best way possible, that when people encounter us, they know you a little bit better. We are humble as we think about our inability to follow you, our inability to be exactly like you, and we just ask that you would give us the courage to admit that and then um, keep following, to keep knowing you, to keep turning into the kind of person you describe in the Sermon on the Mount, the kind of person that seems unattainable to us, but um, that through your Holy Spirit, you would like to make us into. We thank you for that. We thank you for your patience, for your kindness and your love. In your name, amen.